Welcome to the December 13th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and the sermon is entitled, A Throne for a Prince, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. It's good to have you here on this third Sunday of the Advent season. Isn't it good to hear children in the church? Amen. What a blessing to hear children running through the church and to hear those voices among us again. So families, thank you for coming back and being back and bringing your children. And we want to protect them and give them a safe environment. But it is good to have our families back and our children back here. In this season, as we go through each Sunday of the Advent season, today being the third Sunday, we are preparing our hearts and our minds and our souls to celebrate a king who came to be among us. Amazingly, he came in the lowliest way. He came as a baby born in a manger. Why a manger? And I believe the reason for that is God was indicating to the world that Jesus came in the lowliest way because there was no one that God wanted to gloss over or miss in the coming of the Christ child. He came to the lowliest person among us because he came in the lowliest way as a Savior. But we're thankful for a Savior who came to give us life. Amen. We gather today in that celebration, and certainly we enjoy a holiday uh, with trees and presents and lights. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, Watching TV programs about reindeer with red noses and Grinches with green fur and all the things that we see in this season of the year and celebrate with food and family on the way. But we are here today to keep the proper mindset and the proper perspective of what this season is all about. It's about the coming of a Savior to the world. And we're never to lose Jesus as the centerpiece of his own birthday. The world has largely kicked him out of his birthday, and we as God's people, the remnant of God's people in this country in particular, we're to lift Jesus up as Lord and Savior and not lose him in the celebration of his own birthday. Do that in your homes. Do that in public. Do that in the way that you celebrate Christmas as family comes to be with you. We who know Jesus as our Savior are especially mindful that over top of happy holidays and over top of season's greetings, this is a holy time of the year as we celebrate Jesus Christ coming to us. That's why we join in the church. We keep Jesus as the centerpiece. We honor and worship Him. And we honor and worship our God for this unexplainable, ineffable, awesome way that God sent himself, that God sent his son to be the savior of the world. It was a plan that only God could create, that only God could devise, that his son, a part of himself, that God Almighty would come to a manger bed. And God devised that plan so that we could have forgiveness and eternal life. Sadly, Much of the world misses that sublime message by by looking at the mundane, seeing simply lights and trees and presents and missing Jesus. How sad that is. We want to represent a living Savior as we celebrate this year. Well, in last week's sermon, I led us in the study of the one name that God gave to His Son, and that name is Jesus. 
Jesus is the one earthly name that God gave to his son. We know that he, before Jesus was born in the manger, he gave it to Mary. He gave it to Joseph so that there would be no discussion and no dissension about the name of the Son of God. As we looked at that last week, we know that his name is going to stand forever and forever. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We see Jesus revealed in the book of the Revelation. Uh, his name will always stand for all eternity. His name was recorded by the gospel writers over 2,000 years ago. His name is at the heart of our worship today. And I reminded the, the uh, early group this morning that if you're approached by anyone who says we're going to worship God and not mention the name of Jesus, they are in trouble. Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of all we worship, not just at Christmas, but throughout the year. He is the way, He is the truth, He is the life. We cannot leave Him out. We don't simply worship, but we worship in the name of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, because that name will never lose its place, and it will never lose its power in all of eternity. But while Jesus is his one given name, as I reminded you last week, there are many titles for the Savior throughout the Bible. The titles for the Savior actually begin well into the Old Testament, and they come out through the New Testament. A few of the titles are Christ. I believe that's one of the most important titles. Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of David the Lamb of God, the Light of the World, the Bread of Life, the Redeemer. There are so many titles. In fact, someone who researched the Bible said there are over 200 titles through the Old Testament and the New Testament given to the Son of God. So today, I want us to center our study on one title. And I will tell you this. I did a study, I think it was three years ago at Christmas time, of the titles given to Jesus in Isaiah 9, chapter 6. I'm going to repeat one of those titles today, but I did not pull out an old three-year-old sermon. This is brand new. I never pulled the sermon out of the box because God has just given me some insight this year as I've read this scripture and as I've prayed over it and I've asked his revelation to give me that nugget of truth that I need to hear in these titles. And so God this year once again led me to one of those titles that I want to preach about. So open your Bible with me to Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. If you know anything about the book you know about this verse. Hear these words from the prophecy of Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Eight centuries before Jesus came to the manger, God gave that word to the prophet Isaiah. Eight hundred years before Jesus was born, we hear of a child coming to us, a son that's going to be born, and these titles that are going to be given to him. So in this one verse, Isaiah says a child would be born as a gift to the world. The day is going to come when all the government and all the guidance of all the people of all the ages will rest on his shoulder. That's what the verse says. 
that the government will rest on his shoulder alone. Why shoulder? Well, in the Old Testament, as well as in the New Testament, the shoulder is a point of strength on the body. When when a shepherd would go out seeking that one lost sheep that had wandered off from the fold, when that one sheep was found, the shepherd would take that sheep and throw it over his shoulder and carry that sheep back to the fold. In the same way, that point of strength on the shepherd is the point of strength on the good shepherd, the great shepherd, because he found me. And he brought me back to the fold in forgiveness. If you are a child of God today, he found you. And he brought you back to the fold in forgiveness. Amen. He gave us life. And we worship him today. The government will rest on his shoulder. He carried us home on that shoulder of strength. And then the prophet Isaiah gives four or five titles to this child. Now, in some versions of the Bible... King James Version, American Standard Version, and several other versions, the title that is given to the Son of God is Wonderful, Counselor. So really two titles, Wonderful, Counselor. However, in some other versions of the Bible, uh, such as Holman Christian Standard and the New International Version, there's one title given. The comma's not there, Wonderful Counselor. So it's either two titles with a comma, or one title with no comma. Now, as you go back to the original Hebrew language, actually either translation works. Either one is grammatically correct. There is no right or wrong here. It can be translated either way as two titles or one title. Wonderful counselor. We know that is absolutely true. But then Isaiah lists three other titles given to this child, this baby, to be born among us. The mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Today I want us to look specifically at one of those titles. And I will tell you at every Christmas season when I read Scripture, this title grabs me every year. This title means something to me every year. And this year I left the old sermon in its box and said, Lord, do you want to give me something new on this title? And I want to share it with you today. The title that I want to preach on today is the Prince of Peace. We know that indeed Jesus is the Prince of Peace by the Word of God. Uh, As we look at that, uh, I I believe this is one of the most misunderstood titles for Jesus in the entire Bible. I don't believe that the world understands this title of Jesus being the Prince of Peace. Let's look at the title itself for just a moment. First of all, the word Prince. The word in Hebrew transliterated is Sar, S-A-R. That Hebrew word means prince, uh, and the word means the leader who is preeminent in all things. Sar, the prince, means one who is of noble birth. Jesus was born in a manger, but believe me, it was a noble birth because he is the son of God. Amen? He was of noble birth even though he was born in a barn. He is entirely worthy of our honor. He is lifted up in importance in all the humanity of the world because He alone is the one Son of God. He alone is the one Lamb of God who lived sinlessly. He alone is the one who laid down His life that we might have forgiveness. So He is lifted up in importance. He is the Prince today. But as we look at this Hebrew word, 
that Isaiah writes, it can also be translated, and it is translated in the Bible, as king, as ruler, and as commander. All of those words, along with prince, encompass that Hebrew word sar. So as Isaiah says, this child born among us will be the leader and the commanding officer of peace among us. Now the word peace in Hebrew, I think you probably know this word, is shalom. Uh, Jerusalem, Yeru or Jeru is settlement or city. Shalom is peace. So Jerusalem, Jerusalem is the city or settlement of peace. Shalom then is the Hebrew word for God's peace. It means harmony. It means wholeness. It means completeness. All that culminates in the gifts of God to us find its meaning in the word peace. When you and I truly know God, no matter the circumstances of life, we will know peace. Because God is the giver of true peace. Shalom. So in, in, the, in the Hebrew phrase, the prince of peace, in English it could be translated uh, the commander of completeness. It could be translated the ruler of wholeness. It could be translated the king of harmony or satisfaction. Okay, now I want, you to, I want you to hang with me here. This is where God opened up the road for me today. As I considered this title once again, for over 2,000 years we know that we have called Jesus the Prince of Peace. The gospel writers recorded his life as the Son of God. Over the course of those 2,000 years, the, the world has looked at Jesus, and the world has considered this title that he is called the Prince of Peace. They've considered the fact that the world has no peace, and yet Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. The world says, Jesus, this is your title. It is given by God Almighty through the prophet Isaiah, but you have failed to bring peace to the world. If you're the Prince of Peace, why do we not have peace in the world? Ever since Jesus came to a manger, there has never been one moment in history where the world has been at peace. Wars have not ceased. People have not been together in forgiveness. Peace has not truly come to the world, and yet Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. So the world looks at that title and says, you failed us. You're not the Prince of Peace because the world has no peace. Outwardly, the world's view is correct. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace, but from the manger forward, there has not been peace on the earth. So how do we correlate that? How do we put that together so that it is God's Word? There's one moment that there was complete peace on earth. It was that moment after God had created Adam and Eve, and they lived in the Garden of Eden, and the moments before they fell into sin, before Satan approached them as the serpent and beguiled them and led them into sin, in those moments that they were created and before they met Satan, in those moments there was perfection and there was peace on the earth. In those moments that Adam and Eve lived before they fell into sin, and I don't think it was long. It didn't take me long to fall into sin. I don't think it took Adam and Eve long to fall into rebellion against God and to fall into sin. 
But there was that moment that they lived that all on earth was at total peace and fully at harmony. The vegetables grew out of the ground, and the fruit grew off of the trees, and they could have all they wanted to eat with no work whatsoever. All the animals were tame. There was no worry about being attacked because everyone lived together at peace in the garden. There was no hunting. There was no bloodshed. Roses didn't have thorns. Everything was good. Everything was at peace. But the very second, the very millisecond, Adam and Eve fell into sin and rebellion against God, there has not been a moment of peace on the earth. Not fully encompassing the earth. There's never been a moment where all the earth was at peace. Now, humans dream about peace. There's something in us that's born in us that desires and yearns for peace. And we know that peace is talked about a lot among us. That we want world peace to come. In fact, there was a song that came out. If you are of this era, you probably remember it. It was in 1971. And the song was from a group called the New Seekers. And the couple verses of this song say this. I'd like to build the world a home. I'd like to build the world a home. Remember that? Okay, so I'm not going to sing the whole thing to you. Tom might close down the worship service. I'd like to build the world a home and furnish it with love, grow apple trees and honeybees and snow-white turtle doves. I'd like to see the world for once all standing hand in hand and hear the echo through the hills for peace throughout the land. Now, if you remember a couple years later, Coca-Cola got hold of that song. And they, they kept, I listened to it last night on YouTube, so I know this. This is coming as a fact. They kept the first verse exactly the same. Like to build the world a home, furnish it with love, grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves. Then the second verse begins, I'd like to buy the world a Coke. Like a Coca-Cola is going to solve our problems. Everybody holding a Coca-Cola, including Santa Claus, is not going to solve all of our problems. Every government official talks about peace in the world, bringing peace to the world. It's a, it's a yearning in us. It's a desire of humankind that we come to complete peace. But listen, we cannot get there by ourselves. Sinners cannot get to worldwide peace. We never have stood hand in hand and according to the word of the Bible, particularly the prophecy of Daniel, we never will. As long as human history exists, things are not going to get better. Things are going to go downhill and get worse. I think we see that happening in these days. So we're never, as human beings, in this world of sin, truly going to stand together, hold hand in hand, have worldwide peace. It's not going to happen. It's never happened since Adam and Eve, and it's not happened today. It's not going to happen till the end of our earthly history as we understand it. So here's the big question this morning in this Christmas worship. Has Jesus failed as the Prince of Peace? Is this title inaccurate? Has he not fulfilled what God said he would be as the Prince of Peace? Let me just say this. Listen carefully. No, no, no. He has not failed us. He has not failed as the Prince of Peace. Not at all. 
The peace of Jesus Christ is entirely misunderstood by the world. The Bible never promises worldwide human peace. The Bible never says that we're all going to stand hand in hand, however we do that, holding a Coca-Cola or just being hand in hand together. We're never going to do that. We're never going to be in total peace as human beings by ourselves. Peace cannot find a resting place in a world of sin. Well, let me give you the Bible's definition of what peace really is. Now turn with me to another very familiar portion of God's Word. Go to Luke chapter 2. And I want you to look at verses 13 and 14. Luke chapter 2. You will know these verses well. 13 and 14. Of course, we know that as these young ladies taught us this morning, that the, the angel of God spoke to the shepherds out in their field. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, I'm bringing you good tidings of great joy that shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The one angel of God shared that good news with the shepherds. But then at that moment, after that good news was shared by the one angel of God, the heavens unveil a complete multitude of angels which praise God and bring glory to God and offer worship to God. And I want you to see verses 13 and 14 in this angel chorus. Look at verse 13, Luke chapter 2. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's a very important statement that I want you to hear. Notice the angel chorus words. Now, the angels do not say, and on earth peace, goodwill among men. That's not what the angels say. The angels say, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Not among men, but toward men. There's a huge difference in that, and I want you to hear that this morning. The angels are saying that God has a plan of peace, and He wants to extend that plan of peace toward or to every single human being. He wants to extend His plan of peace toward or to every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. The plan of peace comes toward us, comes to us by the plan of God. Not among us, but to us individually. The Lord God is not going to give peace among this world of sin and sinners. But God sent His Son toward us. He sent His Son to us, to every single human being that we might be saved. Do you remember back on the Sermon on the Mount? where Jesus said, if you really want to follow me, you have to come to a narrow gate. That narrow gate means that we go through the gate to Jesus one by one. You can't follow your mama or your granddaddy who was a preacher or whoever it might be. You can't follow them through. That gate for a single person is for a single decision. Will you accept my son Jesus as your Savior? So the plan of peace doesn't come among us. It comes to us, one by one, every individual, one of us, having to make that decision to accept or reject Jesus as our personal Lord 
and Savior. He wants to extend that salvation to every person, and it comes to us by the grace of God. We respond in faith, saying, Lord Jesus, I believe, personally I believe, that you died for me on a cross. You came to me in a manger. You lived 33 years of a sinless life as the Lamb of God. And then in sinlessness, as a human being, the only human who ever lived sinlessly, you went to the cross and you shed your blood and you died for me that the Lamb of God who was sinless could forgive a sinner like me. But not only did you forgive me, Lord, you went far beyond that in that on the third day you rose from the grave that I might have life everlasting and I can live with you for all eternity. So what all, old Isaiah is saying in Isaiah 9-6 is that Jesus will be the true Prince of Peace when He lives in my heart as my Savior. He will be your Prince of Peace when He lives in your heart as your Savior. That's when He fulfills the title. And the amazing thing to me is, yes, there is a moment that we can stand hand in hand, that we can stand side by side and shoulder to shoulder in ministry because He does link us together and He does bind us together when we are true believers, brothers and sisters in Him. Then there's that moment of peace that we can be together because the Prince of Peace joins us living in our hearts together. God's peace comes to every person individually it can't be laid over the world like a blanket because the world is full of sin and full of sinners. Peace can't come there. But it comes to every single heart who comes to Him as Savior. So as I come to the last moments of this sermon today, let me ask you this. Do you know that Jesus is your Prince of Peace? Is there an assurance in you that He is your Prince of Peace? That He lives in your heart. That He's forgiven you. That He's given you eternal life. And that He's given you a purpose to live for Him every single day. You know, there's a, there's a reason that we wake up every morning. You and I are saved. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you're saved. If, if tomorrow morning I don't wake up, I know I'm going to be in heaven. But if I do wake up, there's a reason I wake up. It's because there's one more day to serve Him. One more day to give my life to Him. True for you as well. If He's your Prince of Peace, He has a plan for your life. And he wants you to live that plan. Is he living in your heart? Do you know he's living in your heart this day? I believe when he lives in your heart, he will give you evidence that he is there. Let me give you a few evidences that Christ is in your heart. Number one, you will be, however you choose to do this, you will be drawn to worship him. You will want to surrender and lay down your life before him because he is your prince of peace. He is the commander of peace in your life. Now, what I'm saying is we need to worship Him, whether it's in person, streaming, out in a parking lot, however, we're to worship Him corporately. But also, far beyond corporately, we worship Him every single day as we belong to Him. We represent Him as a witness in this world every single day that we walk out there. In the workforce, in the school classroom, in Walmart, in Food Line, we represent Him because He's our Prince of Peace. I believe that, as the Bible says, my cup runneth over. I believe truly from the 23rd Psalm, as we look at that, when the Prince of Peace lives in our heart, His presence runs over in us so that others see Him living in us. Will you worship Him? Will you worship Him so every day your life belongs to Him and you represent Him in this world? Another evidence, you will have a love for people. 
You will want the best for people. You will want to see people saved. We cannot say, I have the Prince of Peace living in my heart. I'm waiting on the wagon. Can't wait to get to heaven. But rather, we're to say, the Prince of Peace lives in my heart. I want him to live in yours as well. We need to reach out with the gospel of the Lord from the church, from our lives. We will want to see people saved, especially those who sit around your dinner table, who sit with you and work with you in the workplace. In your classroom, those, those precious friends, you will want salvation for them. That's evidence that the Prince of Peace lives in your heart. You will want the will of God to increase above your own. As I said this morning to the early group, one of my life's verses now is John 3.30, where John the Baptist says, I want my will to decrease, and I want the will of Jesus to increase in me. We should want that. When the Prince of Peace lives in our heart, we should want that. I want to lay aside my old sinful will so that the will of Jesus can be played out in my life. That's evidence the Prince of Peace lives in you. And, and here's the last one I want to mention to you today. When the Prince of Peace lives in you, you will have an overwhelming desire to be thankful for him. That he lives in you. That he lives in me. That he loves us so much that he's taken up residence and the Prince of Peace resides on the throne of my heart. We should be thankful for that. Every single day, somehow expressing our thanksgiving that God himself has taken up residence in our heart. So I pray that we have that desire right now simply to be thankful. So the sermon ends very simply. How will you thank him? for being your Prince of Peace. Well, we're the family of God today. Every one of us has a way that we can say thank you, Lord. Maybe some will choose to come to this altar, either take us by the hand or, or simply just stand here or kneel here and say, Lord, thank you that you're my Prince of Peace, that you live in my heart. Maybe you want to come to the altar of your heart where you stand. However you do that, I can't dictate that. But I pray that we, the people of God, will live in this Christmas season saying, Lord, thank you that you came as my Prince of Peace. And you've given me brothers and sisters that we share that Prince together. What a wonderful thing it is to have a church family. And today, if you don't know him as your Savior, the Prince of Peace is poised and waiting and willing to move into your heart too. To show you his compassion and forgiveness. To show you that he has a plan for your life to show you that he has a wholeness, that you can lay aside your guilt and forgiveness and walk the walk of Jesus Christ. He's waiting to move into your heart as the Prince of Peace. And it's a very simple invitation if you will simply say, Lord, I am a sinner. The Bible assures us all of us are sinners. But I believe, Lord, that you came for me in a manger. You lived a perfect life. You died a death for me in my place. And you rose that I might have eternal life. I make a place in my heart. I open my heart to you and I ask you to take the throne and live in me so that I will follow you. It's not a partial commitment. If you think you can uh, live for Jesus and keep a foot in the world, you're not ready to come yet. It's total, total surrender. Amen? It's surrender to him. If today you say, I want Jesus to live in me, I accept you as my Savior, and I want to live for you as you live in me as the Prince of Peace. You come.
Jesus tells us the last closing words of Revelation, whosoever will. If today you're that one who needs him, he's ready to receive you and accept you as his son and daughter. Just come and ask. Come and give him your heart. Church home, need for healing, whatever you need, we meet together in this important moment of decision. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are indeed the Prince of Peace. The world doesn't understand that. The world thinks you failed. The world thinks because we're not standing holding hand in hand that you failed as the Prince of Peace, but you have not failed whatsoever. The plan of God as the Prince of Peace is that you will come toward every heart and everyone who receives you, you take up the residence of the throne of their heart and you become their Savior. And in that place, Lord, you become the peace of our life. I know that peace. I still sin and I still fall out of that peace, but you constantly restore it to me. And that's true for my brothers and sisters here, Lord. We're a church together because we are bound together by the peace of Jesus living in our hearts. We are some of the few who can stand hand in hand because Jesus holds us together. Lord, if there's one person here today who is a believer who simply wants to say, Lord Jesus, I want to celebrate Christmas the right way. Yes, I love presents and trees and lights and all the joy of the season, but this is about you coming to me so that I might be saved and have peace in my heart. I just simply come today to say thank you. That's the simple invitation. Come to say thank you. Lord, if there's one here who's never received Jesus as Savior, maybe they're listening by streaming today. Maybe they're out in the parking lot listening to an FM radio signal. Wherever they are, whatever they've done, whatever their background is, the Prince of Peace can move into their heart this moment. If they will simply say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have done things that have stood between you and me. But I believe that Jesus came to a manger, lived as the Lamb of God on earth, and died on the cross to forgive my sin, rose from the grave to give me eternal life. And so this moment, Lord, I give you the only Christmas present that is worthy. I give you my heart. I give you the throne. I ask you to save me and to be my Prince of Peace. I pray that one will come. A need for healing, church home, whatever it is, Lord, bless us in these very precious moments we have together in Jesus' name. Amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.